0: It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Bill's Mafia. We know there's only one topic every day. All bills all the time.
1: And now Matt Bove and Sal Capaccio are going really deep, talking bills all year long, because it's always game day in Buffalo.
0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. Sal Capaccio here at WGR Sports Radio 550 and Bill's sideline reporter, along with my co-host, as usual, Matt Bovee, Channel 7, WKBW-TV Channel 7 Sports Director And we have been running through the state of the bills before training camp begins. Hard to believe begins on Sunday, July 23rd. It's right here. It is time for football. And Matt, um, we only have a couple of positions left to do, and we are ready to rock and roll here. Training camp at St. John Fisher University, by the way. Make sure everybody knows it is not St. John Fisher College anymore. It's university.
1: I don't think I'm going to get that right. I specifically got an email actually a couple of weeks ago that yep. was like, hey, everybody, please note that it is now St. John Fisher University, not St. John Fisher College. So the decision that I've ultimately made is that I'm just going to call it St. John Fisher so that I can't be wrong. I'm just going to go with St. John <laughs> Fisher. Hey, guys, we're out here. Bill's training camp at St. John Fisher. And I'm just going to stop it there. And that way, I think that I'll be able to remember, just don't say the last thing, because then I'll get in my head. I'm like, wait, is it college? Is it university? I'm excited to go back. I mean, it's crazy. It's one week away. Like you said, we're taping this on Sunday night. So by the time everybody hears this, it'll be less than a week from training camp. The way it's ultimately going to work is the Bills first day of practice is on Sunday. On Saturday, they're going to get there. They're going to bring, you know their TVs, their game consoles, their fancy orthopedic chairs that they have, all that fancy stuff. And then work begins on Sunday. And then basically they just rip it for like two weeks straight. There's a day off here and there mixed in, but once they get to Rochester, it's going to be all business for a couple of weeks.
0: No doubt. It's going to be fun um, and hot out there for sure. If you're going out, we've already done a couple of podcasts on things you can do, food, golf, stuff like that, what to look out for. A couple of people asked me how training camp works. I know that tickets already sold out. That's pretty wild, Matt, to think about how for mm-hmm. many years to even see this team was, oh yeah, you just walk in, you see them. Now everybody wants a piece of them. They want to see them. I know there was some frustration from some people on how the ticket distribution worked, how quickly they went, but tickets are sold out. People ask me about if they are going, what to do. Look, um, there are shuttles to take you over because the parking, you can't park right there on campus. And yeah, I would say you want to get there a little early, leave yourself some time. But one thing I'll tell everybody is When you go, you'll always have a place to sit or stand and the players move around and how they do their individual drills for the quarterbacks, receivers, running backs, defensive linemen, whatever, you know, wherever you go, you'll be able to see something.
1: Yeah. And assuming it's a similar format to what it was back in 2019, they're going to be working on primarily two fields. And then there's also the stadium. So if you're going and if you haven't been in a long time, Chances are you're going to be watching from the large grass field that's basically parallel to the stadium. They usually don't use the stadium field for a bunch just because that's turf. They like to work on the grass field. And over there, there's two different sets of bleachers. There's one set of bleachers, a big one that's facing the field, and then there's Mm -hmm. a track and then there's smaller sets of bleachers that are basically lining the track. So if you're going to training camp and you get there a little bit before practice starts, that's where I think. I would camp out to be able to see the most of the work. There is that little field in kind of the back, and that's where they do some individual stuff, and they do some, like, specialist stuff. But I would think the majority of the action is on the big grass field, not in the stadium. At least that's how they've done it in years past.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. So it should be a a lot for people to do and to see, and they always do a really good job. It's very fan-friendly at St. John Fisher College. Well, I just did it. St. John Fisher University. See, folks? See, see, there you go. That's That's how tough it is. At it St. John Fisher University. I'm going to be doing that and have to catch it myself. We're going to have to put a dollar in the kitty. every time one <laughs> of us does something like that and have a big party at the end for uh, calling it by its former name. <laughs> so we've already run through all the offensive positions and the specialists. We've run through the defensive line. You can hear all of that by going back and listening to It's Always Game Day in Buffalo and some of our former podcasts. We invite you to do that. Please download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If this is the first time you've ever heard this, Thank you for joining us. It's on iTunes uh, for Apple. It's on Spotify. It's on Google podcasts and through the Odyssey app and the Odyssey website, of course. And we thank all of our uh, support we have at Odyssey, including our producer, Jim Stalliano, who does a really good job for us. But thank you very much. Download it. Subscribe to it. Throw us a nice rating, please. That would really help the podcast grow even more. And we're happy to bring it to you. And Matt and I are going to keep bringing it to you throughout the regular season and hopefully deep into the playoffs a couple of times a week. So look out for that as well. And if you want, you can go back and listen to what we said about all these other positions. And now it's time to focus on the linebackers and the guys behind them in the secondary. Let's start with linebackers, where I would say, Matt, um, this is a group that hasn't really turned over much, but still has some questions, mostly on the back end, mostly about special teams guys. But we can start with the two starters. They are entrenched. Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano. And I always remind everybody, that's all they really play. Do they put a third linebacker on the field sometimes? Sure, in certain situations. But this is a heavy nickel defense. They play two linebackers, five defensive backs, and those two linebackers rarely come off the field. And I think as a tandem, maybe not individually, I think Matt Milano, you know, is underrated. And maybe Tremaine Edmonds, he's a very he's a lightning rod, but I think as a tandem, have two very good linebackers. Besides quarterback, is linebacker the easiest position group
1: to predict on this Bills roster? I'm looking at the depth chart right now, and I see the guys, and I'm just kind of like, okay, there's these dudes who are very clearly going to make the team, and then I just continue to go down the list, and I'm like, okay, yes, 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 maybe. Like I I don't know. I don't think it's it's funny because, like you said, they're primarily a two-linebacker unit when they play their base defense. That means Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano. Listen, I know people get really up in arms about Tremaine Edmonds. Should they sign him to a contract extension? That's a conversation for a different day. But he's going to play. If he's healthy, he's going to play pretty much every snap. Same thing with Matt Milano. Now, Matt Milano has had a couple injury concerns over the last couple years, but I would argue maybe the most underrated player on their entire defense. One of the things that we talk about with Tremaine Edmonds needing to be better is making these splash plays. It's something Leslie Frazier has talked about. It's something he has talked about. Matt Milano does not have that problem. Matt Milano makes a ton of splash plays, and I think that's why he's so dynamic. After that, Terrell Bernard's going to make the team. Like, just where they drafted him, no questions asked, he's going to make the team. Then we get down to, like, Tyrell Dodson, Tyler Medikevich, and Andre Smith. I, I don't want to discredit Joe Giles, Harris, Markel Lee, or Balen Inspector. They got nine linebackers on their roster as of right now. Let's assume they keep five or six of them. So my question ultimately comes down to what do they do with like Tyler Medakevich, Andre Smith, now, Tyler Medakevich, a really important special teams player, but doesn't get a ton of snaps on defense. How important is he to the special teams unit? And same thing. Do they find more value in Andre Smith as a more, you know, just like a legitimate backup linebacker, because he can also play special. So there's a couple different layers to it, but I think they're going to keep five or six, and I know for certain they're going to keep Tremaine Edmonds,
0: Matt Milano, Terrell Bernard, and Tyrell Dodson. Agree with everything you said, and then it comes down to Tyler Medikevich, Andre Smith, Joe Giles-Harris, Marquelle, and Bale Inspector. I think it's Mark Kelly, actually. But one of the things to remember is, reportedly, that Andre Smith is suspended six games. Yes. So... What happens here, so people know how the roster will work, he will not count against the 53, but he can be on a reserve list. He'll be on the reserve suspended list, essentially. So he'll make the roster, but he won't count against the 53. They won't have to make a decision on him until six weeks in, after six weeks in. But I think that's a free spot. So to me, he makes it because of that. And then if they want to get rid of him before he has to count on the 53 and they have to activate him, they can do that. This really comes down to, to me, Matt, this doesn't come down to maybe even linebacker against linebacker. This might mean this might be linebacker against Jay Kumro linebacker against Tywan Jones linebacker against another DB who could play special teams because the guys who we were talking about here, like Tyler Madakevich, of course, it's or Bernard. I agree with you. He's going to make it because of where he's drafted um, and somebody else, Tyler Madakevich, whoever it is, Joe Giles, Harris, Mark Kelly, Baylor inspector, whoever it is, really, you could strip away their title of linebacker they're just going to be a special teams player, and if they can beat out a special teams guy from another position, they'll make it because there are there is room for that. So I don't see necessarily um, these guys, you know, playing it, because they're not going to play for uh, for Milano or for Edmonds. But you could see somebody sneaking on the roster if they can beat out one of those other core special teams guys.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting conversation just because of like how the defense has been built to be so rotation-focused, especially with the defensive line. But the linebackers are just like there. You know, There's very rarely situations when those guys aren't on the field. And when they haven't been on the field the last couple years, A.J. Klein has been the guy that they've leaned on, but they let A.J. Klein walk this year. They didn't want to give him the money that he was ultimately going to get. So it is an interesting conversation. I think that Tyler Medakevich has kind of been a mainstay on this team I don't know if he's a for sure roster lock on this roster, but I do think he's pretty close to it because of the Andre Smith news. And because they're just like just for the sake of building a 53 man roster, they're going to keep at least probably five linebackers. You you basically just have to. So I think for him, he gets the added bonus of, okay, he can play in a pinch defensively, but he's also a bread and butter special teams guy. And I do think that they value that. And I know people are going to say, oh my God, you guys sound like a broken record. You keep bringing this up. But honestly, there's a reason we keep bringing it up. They put such an emphasis on that. It's crazy. So I think if you have a guy who is maybe a little bit of a better backup, but doesn't provide the special teams value, and then you have another player that's on par or close to the caliber backup, but a really good special teams asset, they're going to lean in that direction. And that's why I think Medikevich probably ends up making this team. I don't think he's a 100% a lock, but I think because of the Andre Smith suspension, they're just basically going to keep those five guys we said. Edmonds, Milano, Dodson, Bernard, Medikevich. Andre Smith doesn't count. And I think it would be a pretty big upset if one of the other three ultimately leapfrogs one of those guys and makes the team. But I, I just don't see that happening.
0: There is a money component to the Medikevich part. If they, if they release him, they save $2.5 million. I mean, you're dealing with the Jordan Poyer situation. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds going to be a free agent at the end of next year. Uh, Dawson Knox is going to be a free agent. Like this is, this is something to watch. I agree with you. I think he makes the team. But it's not a slam dunk, and the money component comes in here for a guy like that. He actually came to the Bills last year as the number one like overall special teams tackler over the last four years in the league had the most. He might still be up there. He is very important to what they do, and I think this team is in such a win-now Super Bowl mode. They do not want to even leave anything to chance. So you're really going to make football decisions more than financial decisions, if you will, uh-huh. because of that. But it is something I think we have to keep in the back of our minds. So you look at the bottom of that roster real quick. You mentioned it a couple of different ways. Look, I'll tell you, though, I really like Joe Giles Harris. I think he can play, but I don't still know if there's a spot. I think this is a really deep group. It's funny. Some fans think this is not a deep group. They look at the top two and go, who's after them? I think this is a deep group. I think you guys, I think Tyrell Dodson could start on many, many teams in this league. He plays all three positions. I think Joe Giles Harris can play in this league. Lee, Markel Lee has played a lot in the league. Bale inspector was just drafted. So in Andre Smith, we know, you know, we're counting him when he comes back from the suspension. But um, I think this is a deep group. I do think it's something to watch with Medikevich, but I agree with you overall that probably looking at the five we know. But I'll ask you this, Matt, if that's the case, what happens then when Andre Smith's suspension is up? That's a good
1: question. I, and then this is not a fair like apples to apples comparison, but I'm thinking almost similarly to what they did with Marquez Stevenson last year because he was hurt in the preseason and they were able to just kind of stow him away. And then they had to make the decision of what they ultimately did. And then I think actually somebody else got hurt, so they didn't have to make like too complicated of a decision. I would venture to guess that when Andre Smith comes back, maybe they get rid of I, I'm looking at the. I'm looking at the 53 right now. Maybe they get rid of uh,
0: defensive linemen. Maybe they get rid of. Mm. So keep, you know, keep keep the. the, the, Just add to the linebacker group. Don't take someone away from that group.
1: No, I don't think so because I don't think at that point you would be completely comfortable. Like, I I think this is a situation where if Medikevich makes the team out of training camp, he's going to be on the team the whole year. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're moving on from him. And then I don't think based off of where they drafted Terrell Bernard, they're, they're not getting rid of him at any point during the season. Like you said, Tyrell Dodson is number three on the depth chart. Like you're not getting rid of him. So
0: I just don't see a situation where you'd really get rid of somebody. You could especially- really just get, you could get rid of Smith. You could just say he's not going to get active. Like that's what I mean. That. I'll mean. also tell you this. There are always roster gymnastics with the injured reserve list and things like that that happen throughout the year. Right. That uh-huh. You can kind of put somebody on, take somebody off, all those kinds of things that could happen as well.
1: I don't think Andre Smith, I mean, once again, the, these accusations, like I don't even th- the suspension, I don't even know if it's been officially announced by the NFL. No. I know there's been some reports out there. It was it
0: was a, on a transaction wire, I believe it's in some way, shape or form, but and I, know, I don't like, think it, the bills haven't commented.
1: Yeah, and I know like he responded to the tweet and everything when it happened and explained his side of the story. I think if you get to the sixth week of the season or week seven of the season and like you don't need Andre Smith, right? I, like, I, I think you maybe just cut him and then try and put him on your practice squad or something. Like, I don't think there would be like a line of teams waiting to go sign Andre Smith. No, and I who, don't. I, I,
0: who, Agree.
1: Go ahead. And who, and who knows by that, like a lot of things can happen. Like if you have one player injured on your 53 man roster and you can just kind of say like, okay, you're, you're coming in and then, you know, you're going to injured reserve or we're going to do this with you. I mean, it's almost a moot point because a player will be hurt by week seven. Like, like there will be a player hurt on the bills by week seven. That's just basically like, that'll happen.
0: Let's turn our attention to the DBs and let's talk about the cornerbacks.
1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
0: All right, Sal Capaccio here with Matt Bove. It's always game day in Buffalo. Matt, I mean, nobody knows what the status of Tredavious White is going to be to start of the year. What Brandon Bean said to us before, you know, they broke from minicamp and all that is they'll get to camp and then they'll decide, is he weeks away or days away? The way that Tredavious White works... I would hope it might be days away, and I would hope and think that he might be ready to go by the opener on Thursday night, September 8th. But certainly, his status is going to impact what happens opposite him. Nobody doesn't expect Kyrie Elam to play, and he's going to play, but I, I don't know where if that's going to be the number one role, if you will, because of Tradavius and Stane Jackson starts or the number two role opposite Tradavius and Dane Jackson's on the bench, but in some way, Elam has to factor in here, obviously.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that as things stand right now, Kyrie Elam will be one of the starting cornerbacks week one against the Rams when they start the season. I will ask you this, though. Did you see Stefan Diggs' Instagram post from the other night about Joe Hayden? I heard about it. I have not seen it. I mean, it was basically just he shared Joe Hayden's story on Instagram and then tagged the Buffalo Bills and put the eye emojis. And I'm just saying, like Joe Hayden has been a name that we've talked about a lot Mm -hmm. during the course of the offseason. He's still available. So that's so Diggs is recruiting him. Von Miller has literally said on the record that he wants the Bills to sign him and that he thinks it's something that they should do. So I I wonder if we get to the point of like training camp, maybe a week or two in a training camp, and he still doesn't have a team if they're basically like, hey, This is what we can pay you come in and be, you know, our number three, but you're going to get time and we're going to, you know, really ease Trey back into things. And, you know, if there's an injury, there's going to be play time. And, hey, you can try and chase a ring. So, like, I just want, I think it's interesting that he's still available. And I'm not saying that it's for sure going to happen or anything like that. I just think it's interesting because of the questions with Trey, because we don't know how Kyrie is going to get acclimated. After that, Dane Jackson did a fine job last year. I don't think he did an amazing job. I don't think he did a terrible job. I think he did a fine job. I think in a limited capacity, they would be fine if he has to play some games. But I also don't think they trust him to be an every down starter. And that's why they used the assets that they did to go get Kyrie Elam. And then after that, it's Saran Neal you know i mean yeah. mr do it all basically like Saran Neal is going to make the team for sure they just signed him to a contract oh, yeah. no sure. they just signed him to a contract extension but he does a little bit of everything like he's listed as a corner but he can also play big nickel he's a special teams gunner he's one of their best special teams players so like there is a chance for them to bolster this group, especially if Trey isn't ready right off the bat. But if he is, and I just have a hunch he is, that's not like you know. Or I just kind of have a feeling that he'll be ready. I still think there could be a spot for Joe Hayden if they keep six guys, and that would be Trey White, Dane Jackson, Kyer Elam. We'll count Taron here just for the sake yeah, of
0: for sure. you know, the conversation. And Saran and then another person, because right now,
1: you know, the extra would be Cam Lewis, basically.
0: Yeah. And Taron Johnson, we don't want to leave him out because he's one of the better slot corners in the league. And we know what he's going to be. I said earlier, the Bills play two linebackers because they play so much nickel. Part of the reason they do that is because they have a really good nickel cornerback in Taron Johnson. He's not going to come off the field. Taron Johnson is very good. And you just mentioned the guy I want to get to, Cam Lewis. If they don't sign Joe Hayden, does Cam Lewis make the team? I think this is kind of a 50-50. Every time I think about what they want to do, I could see him on the team. I could see him off the team. He's a guy that's performed very well, I think, when he's played. Very well. He's mostly a slot corner for them, although he has the ability to play outside. If I did a 53-man roster projection now, just who's on the team, without signing any new bodies... I have Cam Lewis on. I think he's earned his way after three years of being in this organization now. Um, I guess two years, you know, going into his third year in the organization. I think Cam Lewis is a player they can rely on to play here. I, I could see it the other way, but he seems to be the most kind of iffy guy if we're talking about questions at this position and who we're not completely certain on. I agree. So let's say this.
1: Trey's a lock. Taryn's a lock. Elam's a lock, Dane Jackson's a lock, Saran Neal's a lock. Yep. Then let's shift over to the safeties. And this is for the sake of the Cam Lewis conversation. Yep. Micah Hyde's a lock, Jordan Poyer's a lock, Jaquan Johnson's a lock. And then DeMar Hamlin, I think I would give him a little bit of an edge over Cam Lewis. But Josh Thomas is also an interesting name because yeah. he impressed a lot of people. So I think if Cam Lewis is going to make the team, that probably means Josh Thomas doesn't. If Josh Thomas makes the team, I probably think that means Cam
0: Lewis doesn't because I'm all kind of putting them in one bucket. And I would say, to me, it's much more likely to keep keep six corners than to keep five safeties. They don't usually keep five safeties because because Hyde and Poyer never come off the field. Mm-hmm. Now the Jordan Poyer situation could play into all this, right? But right now, I mean, I think that's a little bit putting the cart before the horse. But. Josh Thomas, you're right. They really like him. He is impressed. It's a numbers game at safety. The Bills just don't keep five safeties generally. So I don't think that's going to happen. Before we dive into the safeties, which we will do in a second here, Nick McLeod, Elijah Griffin, Tim Harris, and Christian Benford. The one guy, and by the way, Elijah Griffin, in case a lot of people don't know, Warren G, the rapper Warren G, that's his son. Um, Might've known that from last year. If you didn't, we're letting you know. But Christian Benford, people have, I've seen projections from some of our colleagues putting him on the 53. I don't see it. I think he's a project, if you will, especially for a Super Bowl caliber team that to me, he's a practice squad guy.
1: I agree. He was Villanova. He from Villanova. I mean, that's a
0: jump, man.
1: It's interesting because he was a name that continued to get brought up kind of organically when we were at Bill's Rookie Minicamp. And I don't know if that was just a product of, like, him really working closely with Kyrie Elam. So, like, every time we kind of talked about Kyrie, we also happened to talk about Benford or vice versa, whatever it is. I I just don't have the sample size yet. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those situations where, like, I have no idea what to expect from Christian Benford. Like, the other guys that we mentioned, we've seen on the field before. Like, I kind of know what to expect from Cam Lewis. I kind of know what to expect from Josh Thomas and DeMar Hamlin. I got no idea with Christian Benford, Mm -hmm. but I agree. Like, I feel like all of these guys we're talking about all of these like bubble defensive backs that are fighting for their 53 man roster spots. I think they can probably sneak some of them onto the, to the practice squad. I don't know if they'll be able to sneak all of them onto the practice squad because they've had some interest in the players that have just barely missed the team the last few years. But I think that, Benford based off of where they were able to get like I think that's probably a possibility.
0: Yeah, I just every time I like think about it, I I just can't if I put pen to paper, there's no way I can really in good conscience put Christian Benford on the 53. To me, it's a big jump from Villanova. There's a lot of bodies in front of him, and I just don't see a spot for him except for hey, it, like a hey, we're developing this guy, and maybe he gets elevated as one of the extra two at some point this year.
1: Long gone are the days where just because you were a draft pick, yes. you make the 53-man roster. And I think that speaks to how deep and how talented the Bills roster is. For like the last 20 years, basically, if you were a Bills draft pick, it was like, okay, you're going to make the 53-man roster. Right. Just pencil you in now. But as we've seen the last couple of years, players who have been drafted by the Bills They don't always make the team. And then sometimes they get poached by other teams because they're like, oh, they were a draft pick. Like, you know, the insert team name here is like, oh, we liked that guy in the sixth round, but the Bills scooped him up. Now's our chance to go get him or, oh, we had an injury during training camp and now we all of a sudden have a void here. So Christian Benford's an interesting one because he was a sixth round pick. Historically, if you're a sixth round pick, fifth round pick, you're almost always going to make a 53-man roster, but the way the Bills roster is constructed now and how deep they are, it's it's not a guarantee anymore.
0: Rashad Wildgoose was a guy last year that that happened to. Obviously, uh Jack Anderson, I believe that was the guard they also drafted. He was poached, you know, early on. And the other part about this is to add on to what you just said, or you make the roster as even a high draft pick, you don't get a jersey the first couple of weeks. AJ Vanessa, Boogie Basham, right? Like mm-hmm. it is hard. Like this is team is ready made to compete for a Super Bowl, So the corners are going to be a really interesting kind of situation to watch beyond those top guys that we see and to see if they do add anybody's like a Joe Hayden who's out there. All right. So safety wise, obviously the Jordan Poyer situation is going to dominate, you know, the headlines. If he's not at camp, I haven't heard anything that he is or he isn't, but that's something that's going to be monitored and watched and we're all going to figure out. But even if not, I mean, even if he is there, it's going to be a storyline. Now, let's set that aside, put it in another bucket for a second, unless you want to, unless you think it's something we need to talk more about as far as the contract. No, I think he's going to be there. I, I I don't see a situation where he holds up. Okay. So let's just put that aside then and say, how does it look then with him? I mean, Matt, not only are these two guys so talented, you have a first-team All-Pro in Poirier, a second-team All-Pro in Hyde, the only two All-Pros in the whole roster for the Bills last year. These guys never come off the darn field. It's hard for guys who get drafted and developed and play and show they can play to even see the field in Buffalo at this position.
1: Yeah, and I do think, though, it's an interesting layer just because they are both getting older. And their contracts are expiring within a couple of years. So I think the bills might put more of a premium on just kind of keeping these guys around like Jaquan Johnson, like Tamar Hamlin and just being like, okay, they're like the break glass in case of emergency this year, but who knows we might need to lean on them more down the road. The one thing too, about Poyer and Hyde, like they've both been incredibly healthy during their time with the Buffalo bills. So like, We haven't really had to see what the Bills' defense is like without those guys for an extended period of time. I don't anticipate that's going to change. Like, if they're healthy, they're going to be on the field every single play on defense. That is how important they are to the defense. I think they're the best safety tandem in the NFL. You know, maybe they don't get as much respect as they deserve individually, but as a tandem, man, they work so well together. So I think it's kind of obvious, like, those two are going to make the team, and I think they'll keep at least four just because of the way that like, you know, just with injuries happening. And I think that Jaquan Johnson and Demar Hamlin are the next two guys, but don't count out Josh Thomas because he really did kind of flash last year during training camp. And I know a lot of people thought he had a chance at making the team. Demar Hamlin's one of those guys, though. It's like he was a draft pick. He was, but like, like what did we see from Demar Hamlin last year? like the sample size is so small that i don't think it's like oh foregone conclusion he makes the team i just kind of think he will
0: agreed with that and i think he could be a pretty good player actually he's a he's a really good special teamer too and let's go back to that again right that matters mm-hmm. to them. i don't know how many of those guys you can always keep but there's a young guy they drafted and he really made the team largely last year because of his ability on special teams as well the the interesting question at this position for me might be what the role is for a guy like Jaquan Johnson, because he is like, he's the up man on the, on the punt team, the personal protector. But like, is he the number one guy to go in? If there is something to happen to Jordan Porter, Micah Hyde, or is that Damar Hamlin? Is that why you keep a Josh Thomas? Like to me, what's the role for these guys? To me, they're going to keep four. It's probably Josh Thomas, the odd guy out, but I'll leave room open for him to be on there because I like him too. But out of the three, then What happens if Hyde goes out? What happens if Poyer goes out? If it's a one game situation, a four-game situation, how does the role look for all these guys? Because they're different. Jaquan Johnson is not there is not Demar Hamlin. They're different players. Demar Hamlin's that I'm gonna lay the lumber on you kind of hitter, whereas Jaquan Johnson's more of the technician. And yeah, you know, he can get a little physical, but he's gonna be a guy that you're gonna probably count on more in the passing game than in the run game as a safety.
1: I think they trust Jaquan Johnson more than they trust the other guys. And I think that's also just speaks to experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that just his familiarity with the system and how long he has been around those other guys is a benefit to him because I think that he would be the next man up if anything happened to either of them. And I know you're talking about like how they are very different players and maybe he mirrors Micah more than he mirrors Jordan, but I think if anything happened to either of them, they would probably, and that's also speaks credit to the other two, to Poyer and to Hyde. Like, I feel like they could almost seamlessly just start working with whoever else came in just because they're so just like precise with their craft. And it wouldn't obviously be the same level. There would be a drop off just because of, you know, how talented those guys are. But I think like if one of them had to come in, the other guy could really kind of like carry the extra load and make sure that there wasn't a massive drop off and that safety ever became like a big area of concern for the bills, at least as as long as one of them is on the field.
0: One thing I want to note before we leave this is this group will have a new position coach. Bob Babbage Jr., Bobby Babich, was the, was the safeties coach. And he has moved to linebackers. His dad retired. His dad was a linebackers coach. He now goes to linebackers. They moved Jimmy Salgado from corners only, slot corners. I'm sorry, from cor- slot corner, nickel corner. To safeties where he'll be working with all the DBs. Actually, they're going to, I think have him and John Butler, who's still there. John Butler has an added title of, I believe defensive passing game coordinator. Is that what that is? I have to go back and look what his new title was, but um, they're going to have a couple different coaches. If you will, I lost one and have somebody, a new voice in the room. Not that they're unfamiliar with, but it is something I think I wanted to note here, Matt, because the bills did have a couple of changes there on the coaching staff.
1: I'm going to ask you a question, a little trivia question. Do you, okay. want to, do you want to take a guess? Sure. Go ahead. Jaquan Johnson started a game last year for the Bills. Do you know what game it was? He
0: started a game. Boy, oh boy. Did he. St- oh, you know, well, you know what? Because they probably did they play three safeties in a game. I would say, mm, I think Saran Neal started against New England maybe in the one game up there because the way they played, there was something going on there. No, I don't remember what game that was. Did he start early on in the season? Was it. Was it Miami week two?
1: It was not Miami week two, but he had four combined tackles in that game. But now yeah. the thing that I'm interested in, so I'm looking it up right now, and I don't remember Hyder,
0: Poyer being injured. They weren't. I, it had to be something with the lineup and how they did it.
1: Okay, because that's right? what I'm going through. I'm going through the other two, and I'm like, they, they weren't injured, or at least I don't think they were. But he has a, he has a
0: start listed for. I'm gonna find it for you right now. I will tell you exactly the game he started last year. So here it is. You give a why don't you give a plug for the show while I do this?
1: Okay, everybody. So <laughs> as you know, here Sale is better at the plug stuff than I am. I'm just like, hey, please listen to us. We really appreciate it. But I will say, like, we've had a lot of really positive feedback, and we appreciate that up to this point. We've had a bunch of people message us and say, like, hey, we're enjoying the podcast, and we will say, like, listen, we started the podcast in the middle of the offseason, now we're getting to the point where things are going to really ramp up. So there's going to be no shortage of things to talk about. And I know once we get to training camp, we're going to try and get some guests on the podcast. We'll try and talk to some players. We had a lot of feedback. People enjoyed the Dawson Knox and the Isaiah McKenzie interview. So we'll try and have more of that. I don't know if we're going to be able to land like Josh Allen or Stefan Diggs for you, but maybe we can get like the next level and try and
0: bring you those ones. There was an injury last year that we're forgetting. Jordan Poyer missed the game against the Texans. Jaquan Johnson started for him. Yeah, I
1: would not have remembered that. I just saw that he had a start. There you go. It's
0: amazing to think about
1: Jordan Poyer. Well, uh, I think we. I think you
0: could have started for them against the Texans that day, and they would have. <laughs> probably, they probably would have been okay. So Matt and I both took vacations recently, and that's why. We're ready to rock and roll for training camp. We, um, we got away. We had the batteries recharged, but something <laughs> kind of got in the way of that battery recharging. Let's talk about that next on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. Now I've talked a lot on the air on the radio about my trip to Europe. We sailed, sailed cruise. It wasn't on a sailboat in the middle of the Mediterranean. <laughs> uh, we took a cruise. My wife, my son, and I started in Barcelona, went to Versailles, France, down the coast of Italy, Genoa, Naples, Messina, went to Malta, and then back. Then we went to Lake Garda, Italy, then Frankfurt. And that was more of a land thing and driving there and flying there. It was fabulous. I'll just tell everybody If you want a chance to go see a different part of the world, if you can do it on a cruise, go do it because the cruise basically takes you to the city. Then you can get off and you can go visit the city, get on, go to a new city. And we loved it. We had a great time, but I talked a lot about it on the radio. I know people don't get a chance to, if they want to hear more about it, I can explain it. But I do not have quite the story that Matt has about his trip because as beautiful as mine was, I was hurting for you, pal.
1: I'll tell you that. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, Let me ask you this, though, before I share my story. What was your favorite stop
0: of your trip? Lake Garda, Italy. No doubt about it. Incredibly beautiful. I did not realize it's in northern Italy, kind of just south of the Swiss Alps, actually. Okay. And it's just these really nice towns and villages. Nice ones. Like If you took a nice, I said, this is how I described it. I don't know if anybody's ever been to Sarasota out there who's listening, but Take Sarasota and put it in the middle of the mountains, just some a little bit less people, but that's the way it was. These incredible shops and restaurants all over the place. It wasn't like some fishing village, you know what I mean? Not like you go to like the the, the great northwest in Alaska or even the, the New England area. Like this these were nice areas set in the mountains. I'm a city boy, Matt. I like Uh living in the city. I like people. And this was like, I said, man, I think I could live here. That's how incredible it was. Like, I'm not, I don't need to go live on a beach somewhere. That's not for me. That's not what this was. That was my favorite part of the whole thing. I think as far as cities, but I loved everywhere we went, loved Sorrento slash Genoa. Yep. Loved Naples. My family's from there. My father's from there. We went to Pompeii Yep. bucket list. Are you kidding me? Got that crossed off. And then intrinsically, I think for us, One of the things that really made this for me, Matt, was Max got to see where his dad's side of the family is from, Naples, Italy, and where his mom's side of the family is from. My wife is literally from Frankfurt, Germany, grew up there. He got to see all of that. That was great. And I don't want to leave this before you tell your story without saying, visited the Buffalo Bills Backers Pub in Milan, Italy. And David was there. He owns it. Marco helped set it up and let me get in touch with David. We visited Lino in Genoa, who's a pastor in Genoa and a big Bills fan. He's part of that. It was awesome. So thank you very much. Forza Buffalo, for all of you Bills backers in Italy, people who are out there listening, thank you so much for welcoming me. And it was fabulous.
1: I'm glad you had a trip, a great trip. That sounds amazing. And, you know, definitely once in a lifetime. Now, I'm going I'm to share my story and i'm going to start with this like perspective is incredibly important at the end of the day i'm going to talk about covid like it's mm-hmm. a very real thing we are lucky because we're all okay everybody who got covid recovered from covid and this has done so much worse to so many people that it almost like feels selfish or stupid to like talk about something that's so trivial as vacation but it's kind of funny. And sometimes you just kind of have to laugh at yourself and laugh at the situations. And that was one of the ways that we ultimately got through what ended up happening. So like you, completely coincidental, my family was taking a 13-day trip, two weeks, essentially, to Italy. This was originally planned for 2020. The pandemic happened. It was pushed back to 2021. Then it was pushed back to 2022. We had in total 12 members of my family My wife's family, my extended family going on this trip. So it was really, really exciting. We were supposed to leave on July 1st. We get to the airport, Buffalo on July 1st, and there's a mechanical issue with the plane. And we're going to miss our connection. Our connection was Buffalo to Philly, Philly to Rome. So... There was a mechanical issue. It delayed the flight like an hour. Then there was bad weather. So then we were going to miss the connection in Philly, and we weren't going to be able to get to Italy. But we were traveling with seven people. There's not a ton of flights to Italy where they can just take seven people and move them from one flight to another. So then we went from flying out on Friday and getting there first thing in the morning Saturday to flying out late Sunday. And getting there on Monday. So right off the bat, before we even left Buffalo, the trip was cut more than two days short. So it oh <clears throat> so went from 13 days to like 10 and a half days. We get to Rome on Monday. Everything goes smooth. Tried to make the most of the day. We got in there at like noon or something like that. We wanted to go to the Vatican. We wanted to see that. Um, you know, My dad, my sister, they were able to go to the Colosseum. My wife and I had already been there. So we decided to take a nap instead of go to the Colosseum that day. And then we went for an amazing dinner with our family that night. That was probably like the highlight of the trip. The next day we made the trip from Rome to Sorrento. Okay. You went to Sorrento. That was like the most beautiful place that maybe I've ever seen in my life. It was incredible. Did you get,
0: did you, did you get Limoncello?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We drank Limoncello. That was great. Yes. Yeah. We Plenty of Limoncello. And (laughs) then we went to Capri and that was just absolutely stunning. It's a small island off of Sorrento. But then we started to like not feel good. Like plenty of people started, you know, cold symptoms, sneezing, coughing, fever symptoms. And you're like, okay, like, You start to like compartmentalize. You're like, okay, maybe it's like jet lag. Maybe it's I'm not hydrated enough. I started to just feel like garbage a couple days later. And several other people did as well. So this was a bus tour. So, like, we were, you were on a cruise ship. We were going like city to city on like a nice coach bus. Then they would drop us off and we would do everything and they would transport all over. So there were 12 members of our family, 16 people on the entire tour. And the one ride from like Sorrento to Florence, it sounded like we were in like the waiting room of a doctor's office. It was just nonstop coughing, sneezing, all of this stuff. And with the rising COVID rates, especially in Italy, they're like, hey, like, like, be safe. Everybody go like get tested and see what's going on. And I knew it immediately. Like I took the test and you know how they say like, wait 15 minutes to look at for your results. Yes. I took that test and that line was showing up six seconds after that. I put the droplets on the COVID test and I was like, Oh "Oh, no. And keep in mind, like a lot of people are like, Oh, how many times you've been, we've probably been tested because of our jobs with bills games. 75 times, a hundred times in the last year, two years, three years, whatever it is. So, on the second or on the third day of the trip, I test positive and the rules in Italy are <laughs> you need to quarantine for seven days. Oh man. So, oh man, but it wasn't just me. It was myself. It ended up also being my mother, my cousins, oh, my, my aunt and my uncle. So literally that half of the group tested positive. So then we kind of reached like a crossroads. We're like, okay, like what do we do? Like, How do we break this up? So my wife and her family, thank God they didn't get sick. They were able to continue on with the trip. My dad and my sister were like, listen, like you guys are stuck in quarantine for a week. Like, we're worried about getting sick. They flew home. We were like, hey, just go home. Like, get home before if because if you're gonna get sick, you'd rather have to quarantine, especially because they tested negative at our house as opposed to, you know, in a hotel room. So Sal, my 13 day trip turned into a two and a half day trip. And I was stuck in a hotel room with my mother for a week in Italy and you couldn't leave like that, like that's their rules. So we had to honor all of their rules. And, you know, like you also want to be responsible. Like, you know, you don't want to infect other people. You don't want to go out, do anything like that. So legitimately I'm stuck in an Italian hotel room with a TV That only has Italian stations and spotty Wi-Fi for a week. It was, it was not, I mean, it it was like one of those situations where you just had to like kind of had to laugh at it. And you're just kind of like, I can't believe that this happened. It was one of those, like everything that could have went wrong, kind of went wrong. Yeah. So it like, whatever it happened, but I will say my one like silver lining from this is, Hey everybody! If you're going on a trip, if you're going on like a once in a lifetime big trip, look into trip insurance because I think that's going to ultimately be the saving grace. That like we will be able to wow. kind of kind of get reimbursed because our trip was you know completely flipped upside down. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, it's man, a shame, unbelievable, man. It's a sh- it's a shame that it happened. But like I said, we, we all that you could do in that situation is like just try and stay positive because it was you know. It was not, but it like also, and this sounds crazy, but like just a week made me appreciate things so much. I got back to Buffalo and I felt like I won the lottery. I was like, oh my God, like I'm finally, I'm like, I can't wait to go to Bill's practice. I can't wait to get back to work. I can't wait to just like get home. Like all the things that you take for granted immediately became like, wow, like I really appreciate that. So it was, uh, it was a lot of just like literally just like sitting there. Like there wasn't really much else you could do. What in your face, everybody is everybody back where they need to be now. Everybody is back where they need to be now, but my goodness, was it a journey to get back because people had to like separate yeah. and go into different directions. So, we and were- everybody's healthy,
0: everybody's good. There's no lingering,
1: a couple people are still dealing with like some lingering side wow. effects and whatnot. Yeah, but, strange. but you know, like it seems like, like we said, like COVID, it was, it was it was so impactful for so many people that, yeah. like. It could always be so much worse. So it's like, where were you
0: in Italy again when this happened?
1: So I, so I was in Florence. Uh, We just had gotten to Florence and Florence is like one of my favorite places in the world. I've told my, my wife, time and time again, like my dream is to one day have like a little house somewhere in Tuscany and like, you know, be able to go spend months at a time there. And now I'm like, I don't ever want to go back to Florence again. I don't ever want to see that place. So we were in Florence, but then the rest of the tour continued in Venice. So then the family kind of had a split and some of them went to Venice and all of this other stuff. And like one of the best parts about like being in Italy too, is like oh the food, like, oh yeah, you're going oh, yeah, to eat all this amazing food. But when you have COVID and you're stuck in a hotel, you really don't have like an appetite so like sale this is like sacrilegious like i was eating like chicken mcnuggets from like uber eats in an italian hotel because it was like the only thing that i like could get access to so it was like Uh. the first two nights these amazing meals with family and limoncello and gelato and arancini and all this amazing stuff and it's like all the stuff that you look forward to and then it was like all right well we could get subway or chicken nuggets what are we going to do and
0: wow. I'm yeah, that's so, I feel so bad listening to this, man. You know what? Though? I feel like- guilty because I was over there enjoying myself and none of this happened. And like, I felt like, oh, my God, when we missed our connection from Frankfurt to Barcelona and they got out of the next flight. And then our flight back from New York, New York to Buffalo was canceled and mm-hmm. we had to fly into Rochester and a friend came, and picked us up. And like I'm like yeah, compared to you, I don't. This was nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. I'll take that a million times. It's one of the, like,
1: it, it it sucks that it happened, but at the same time, it, it, like it's my my grandfather who was from Italy. And one of the really cool things, like you mentioned, that Max got to see where your family was yes. from and got to see where his mom was from. One of the cool things was the first time I went to Italy, I never got to see the village where my grandfather was from. And just coincidentally, when we were driving from. I think Sorrento to Florence we passed right through the village of where my grandfather was from and he used to have this line that he would tell us all the time like whether things were like going good or things were a disaster he would just always say like oh we're making memories so like that was kind of a line that we like latched onto as my mom and I were sitting in an Italian hotel room just like trying not to lose our minds we would be like well we're making memories like right now this stinks but in 6 months this will be a funny thing to look back on and talk about so All things considered, whatever. But if you're going on a trip, get trip insurance because it is going to come up. Well, I hope it's going to come up real clutch when we look at everything. That's for sure.
0: And you're going to go back at some point to make. I will.
1: I will definitely go back because it's still if you have not been one of the most like one of the most beautiful places in the world, the like Amalfi Coast, Sorrento, Capri area is yeah. gorgeous. Oh my god! I like you said, what was it, Lake Garda? That yeah. was northern Italy. Yes, we were, so I missed this, but my family, my wife, and her mother and brother got to go to Lake Como, and then they also yeah. went into Switzerland, they went into Lugano. I was really looking forward to that, but they did bring back a bunch of like Swiss chocolate, so we got that at least. So that's good. Um, and Sal, before we end, do you want to answer a couple questions? Cause we did get some people. Well, we could, we could up. do that. We,
0: uh, I think we have a few minutes. Go right ahead. What do you, what do you have?
1: All right. So this is from Joe Buffalo wins. You know, we appreciate him. We know Joe. Yeah, we know Joe. And he just said, my question is if you were opposing offensive or defensive coordinators facing the bills, how would you attack them? I thought that was an interesting question. I have an answer for the offensive side. Do, do you have a question or do you have an answer one way or the other?
0: Hmm. Um, I would, let me see, how would I attack the bills defense? I think I would do and go back to kind of what the chiefs have done a lot of and trying to get the ball to my fast guys and let them make plays. Mm-hmm. I want the bills to have to prove to me that they can run around and tackle people. And it's hard to go over the top. The defense is not designed. The defense is designed, excuse me, to not allow that to happen. And I think they're just so well fundamentally sound that you have to put them in position to try and force them to make mistakes.
1: I think, and I agree with you on that. And my standpoint from the offense is kind of similar to there have been very few teams who have been able to like completely destroy the Bills. But, and it's not even so much a schematic. Thing, but I still think a really and this kind of sounds like a dumb answer, but like I think back to the Jags game and like Josh Allen from the Jags gave the Bills fits in that game. Look back to the Steelers game last year. The Bills offensive line just could not hold up against the Steelers pass rush. And that ultimately led to some favorable situations. So, like if you're a defense, I think you just need to scheme up every way possible of getting to Josh Allen and getting to the quarterback. And if you do that. Then you start to like second guess those throws that you feel comfortable making, or maybe you try and do a little too much, and that's usually when mistakes happen. So, I don't know if it's necessarily like an exact scheme thing that I think teams should do, but I think if you're going against the bills and you're an opposing defensive coordinator, your biggest thing to fix because it's so obvious to say, like, okay, we got to contain Josh Allen, we got to stop him, but like, he's reached the level where like you're really not going to do that. You just have to figure out a way of like, okay, how are we going to get to the quarterback, and how are we going to? make sure if we put all of our eggs into that basket that they don't just feast over the top and it's easier said than done. like the bills have one of the best offenses in the nfl so it's not like a lot of teams can do that but i think that's really the only way you can have success against them yeah it's interesting
0: um they're so well put together their roster is so good look around everybody's picking them to win the super bowl or at least giving them the best rocker roster accolade however it works but you know, Jesus, such a. We could save this for another topic, for another episode, but, you know, I think last year, the biggest th- time they struggled was when Dawson Knox was out of the lineup. Yeah. You know, right. That's really mm-hmm. when it really hurt them more than anything. When he was out of the lineup, I think th- that kind of became, oh, you know what? Maybe that's something you need to do take away Dawson Knox, which maybe that's why they went out and signed OJ Howard and they maybe. Maybe plan on having an extra tight end on the field this year. We don't know how that's going to look. Any other questions you got that came your way when you tweeted it out?
1: Yeah, another one from a Joe. And it's just what has this team done to improve in winning close games? And I thought it was interesting. And Joe, I'm going to tell you, I don't think they've done anything specific to try and, you know, improve on winning closer games. I just kind of think it's the luck of the draw. Because two years ago, this team was really good at winning close games. I think sale two years ago, I think they won every one score game except the Houston game, or excuse me, the Arizona right. game, the, you know, the Hail Mary pass. So I think it's just kind of like luck of the draw. And I think that it'll even itself out. And that's one of the reasons too. Like a lot of people look at that metric as like one of those things that can show a team is either going to improve or to regress because it's just kind of luck at that point. So for the bills like the games that they won last year, they just flat out won. They dominated those games. So if they win half of the one possession games, then they're ultimately in, you know, that much better of a situation as they had. Like look at some of the one possession games that they lost last year. Like they lose the Titans game because Josh I, whether he slips, he loses his footing, the offensive line doesn't hold up, like give them that situation, a hundred times. I think they're converting like 95 of them in that hap- They just, in that instance, they didn't same thing with, well, obviously like the chiefs playoff game with the 13 seconds, even like the Steelers game that they ended up coming. Like, I think in a different situation, like mm-hmm. I think if they would have played the Steelers 10 times last year, they would have won the next nine. They just happened to lose that one because everything that could go wrong did.
0: Read the question again. I want to make sure I can, can you read that one more time? What has the team done to improve in winning close games? I think it's signing Von Miller. That's a good I think point. it's closing it out, right? I mean, that's what, to me, and, and even like Sean McDermott has talked about it. Um, Brandon Bean more so has talked about it. Like they think if he if he's on the field, maybe in those last few seconds, maybe they get to Patrick Mahomes, right? Close out the game. Close out the one-score game. I think that's the difference. Maybe you sack Ben bothersberger before he throws the ball to – Who Was it Deontay Johnson who caught on Levi Wallace? But either way, you know, you get my point that I think to me, that's what they did. They went out and signed Von Miller and said, he's the difference in the one score game and the close game to close it out and make the difference in this one.
1: Yeah. You look at the Chiefs game. Jerry Hughes was like a split second away from getting right. to Mahomes on that last play and no knock on Jerry Hughes, but maybe if that's Von Miller in that situation, the play never happens because he gets there the split second before. And this isn't a question sale, but we're end on this. This is from Tanner. He says, nothing is as important as the red helmets right now. And I have an incredibly hot take. I don't like the red helmets. I don't think they should bring back the red helmets. I think they have one of the best uniform combinations in the league. And
0: if it's not broke, don't fix it. I love your take. I'm not totally where you are, but I'm a lot similar than you because I, I, yeah, I remember the red helmets. I like when they went back to the white. When I was a kid, they wore white. Then they went mm-hmm. to red. And obviously the Super Bowl years and all that. So I think some people remember, remember them so fondly because of that. Then they went back to white. And I'm like, yeah, those are sharper. I like those. I actually think the white looks better with their color scheme than the red looks.
1: I agree. I think the white helmets pop. I think they were a really clean look, and I think just like with HD cameras and like the way TV works right now, like if you're watching the game from home, the white helmets look so much sharper than the red helmets would look. And I just think of like some of the teams that have tried to use red helmets over the years, and I just never really think they look that great. But I think the white just like really, really pops. Did you like the Bengals all white they unveiled? I like the Bengals stuff that they unveiled. I will say Houston just released an all red helmet. Red and, helmet that got, yep. and that got a lot of Bills fans like excited. And a lot of people loved it, the Houston one. And I was just like, yeah, it's fine. I was like, eh, I don't really know. I'm also the same way, though. I don't like the color rush jerseys at all. I don't like the red Bills jerseys either. So maybe I just have something against the color red. I'm just like, give me the blue and white. Give me the white. My favorite Bills jersey combination is the standing Buffalo helmet with the white jerseys and the white pants.
0: Yeah, I like the standing Buffalo. I was going to say, instead of red, I would rather just have a standing Buffalo on the white every once in a while. Um, I do not know if they're going to go to red helmets. I don't think they will, considering they haven't announced anything. I will tell you. I don't believe from what I've been told, they will do anything with a third like uniform this year, like, a, you know, a, the, the actual alternate uniforms. I don't know about the helmet specifically. I think they would li- align that they're not going to do anything with that this year, but it, they could. But as far as alternate uniforms from the way I've been told, I don't think that's going to happen Matt. not this year.
1: And the big thing from like two years ago, maybe it was a year ago, was the white face masks. The Bills went from the gray face mask to the white face masks. I think that's a really clean look. I think that just kind of like completes it. I, I mean, like I said two minutes ago, I think the Bills have one of the cleanest looks in the entire. I love the colors. Like, I think the colors are really, really sharp. I think maybe pound for pound, Buffalo sports teams have about as good as as jer- as good as uniform comedy. It was not always that way because <laughs> I, re- I remember those disgusting Navy Bills jerseys that like Drew Bledsoe and Travis Henry, Henry were wearing. Yes. And then, of course, like there have been some really bad Sabres jerseys over the years. But now, like the combinations for both teams are just mint. Hey, look good. Play good. That's what they say, right?
0: Well, we hope we sounded good to you today on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. Once again, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you pod. Apple iTunes, Spotify, Odyssey, Matt Bovee from Channel 7, Sports Director, WKBW-TV. You are going to be out a lot at training camp, right? You're going to be out there pretty much every day filming stuff.
1: Every day I should be there. I am getting my things together. I'm just going to basically, maybe I'll just bring the suitcase I had for Italy. Yeah, because yeah, like, there you I, go. Didn't, I didn't wear any of that stuff. I just wore like a t-shirt and shorts all day. And then I got to go out. It, the one thing that I do have to buy sale is I got to go buy like a mattress topper. I haven't needed one of those in a long time. Because you take the two twin yeah. beds at training camp, you squish them together, you put the mattress topper in the middle. So, you know, if you're, you know, if you're going to have to
0: sleep on twin cots at training camp you got to give yourself a little bit of comfort and you can come to my dorm room if you need coffee i'll have my coffee maker i'll be bringing that so
1: that's such a boss move i (laughs)
0: love i I love that the the only thing that i've ever brought that was
1: like not an essential was we brought a game cube like four or five years ago and we played a lot of mario kart when we had downtime so that was that was really fun
0: well your downtime now is going to be uh editing film of Von Miller getting after quarterbacks <laughs> and hopefully not hitting them, but getting after them at training camp because it's right around the corner folks. It's going to be here. Make sure you catch up with uh, Matt over at channel seven. I'll be on WGR of course. And hopefully you download, subscribe to this podcast and throw us a nice five-star rating and review till the next time for Matt Bove. I'm Sal Capaccio. It's always game day in Buffalo. Thanks for listening.